When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Mother's Day is around the corner. Find the perfect gift for the mom in your life with a stunning piece of jewelry from Blue Nile. From timeless pearls to dazzling gemstones, Blue Nile has something she'll adore. Need a fast? Most items can ship overnight. Plus, enjoy guaranteed free shipping and returns. Don't miss our special Mother's Day deals. Save big on the season's most beautiful trends. For a limited time, get up to 50% off by going to BlueNile.com. That's BlueNile.com. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. All right, back here on Inside Black and Gold. I'm Jeff Nowak. He is Steve Geller. We're going to be getting into kind of my offseason plan, kind of my starter plan for the Saints offseason. Just some mostly financial decisions, mostly decisions on, okay, who you're restructuring, who you're bringing back. Um, you know, it's, it's, it's interesting because you look at it and you say, okay, the Saints are 83 point, what, $3 million in the hole. They got to clear it. How do you go about doing that? Um, so we've already heard the Saints are planning to restructure Derek Carr. I think that was an old.com report. Not exactly a surprise because when you look at the Saints cap table, you got to clear $83 million. You have plenty, multiple op- routes that you can do to clear that. Now, the biggest hurdle is your second highest restructure potential belongs to Ryan Ramchek at a little over $11 million. But Ryan Ramchek has a knee that is not worth $11 million. <laughs> well, we'll see how much it's got left in it. But to me, that's a huge question that you're not going to know the answer to until next year in terms of, can he even play this year? How much can you expect beyond that? Um, so if you don't restructure Ryan Ramchek, he's going to count $27 million against the cap. And so to me, that's the, you know, when you're trying to decide, okay, who were you prioritizing? Because I think you're not getting to the $83 million without doing one of those two, without restructuring Derek or restructuring Ryan. And I think you don't want to restructure Ryan. So Derek Carr means you can restructure him and get $23 million against the cap, clear $23 million. So you're doing that. There is no question. Your options are, you know, you, you could also restructure neither of them and I think you would have to restructure literally every single contract available to you to get to 83 million. And I still don't think you're necessarily getting there. You might have to make a couple cuts. So that's not on the table. So there's, to me, there's no question. It always made the most sense. It was always the plan. You're restructuring Derek Carr. And if you do that, then you can get to that number with 
I think 10 more restructures, you can get to that $83 million. But again, people always talk about this as if this was an accident. <laughs> this is what they planned for. This is how it works uh, for the Saints. I think a lot of the angry or upset reaction to the news was the fact that folks were going into the the thought of, oh, we got one more year of Derek Carr and then we can move on. Let's get our new quarterback and plan for ahead. But it it seems like the plan is for two more years of Carr, not just the one. Yeah, I mean, well, that I, well, here's the thing: you signed him to a three four year contract, right? You signed him to a four year contract that was really, you know, monetarily, you're only tied in in terms of guarantees, mostly for two years. But that doesn't mean you're like. There's this idea that the Saints sign this guy to a contract and then after year one should have been like running for the hills and trying to cut him. I think they still feel the same way about Derek that they felt when they brought him in in the first place. So why would they be acting as if they don't? Right? Like they've told you how they feel about Derek. <laughs> so they're not going to they're not going to say that and they're not going to do that and then in behind the scenes from a financial perspective be like, "Well, yeah, just kidding. We we don't really feel that way." So it just made sense. But it will be more costly to move on after this year if you choose to move on after this year. But I what I would say to that is you could still move on after this year. And if you get to the end of this season in a position where it's gone off the rails, you're firing the head coach, you're probably in a position where you're going to be taking the Band-Aid off anyway in a lot of ways. And eating a cap bomb like that probably isn't going to be the biggest (laughs) issue you have. It's going to be the least of your problems. So I don't know. Like I don't, I don't see it as a huge problem because you were always going to go into this season with Derek Carr as your starting quarterback. And whether you draft a quarterback or not, you're, you're not going to approach it as if like, you know, Oh, he's definitely going to fail. So we got to plan ahead for that. You know, you're going to approach it and hope he can succeed. Uh, and I think that's just the simple simple way to explain that. I just think it was a, a sure sign to, at least to me, you know, it's like, hello, this, the Saints aren't making this drastic move up the draft board to go after a quarterback. No, they were never going to. You know, maybe, maybe if maybe if Jaden fell, you know, maybe if one of those top three guys fell. Right. I, right. You're you're not banking on that. Um, you're not trading up to three. You don't have the ammunition to trade up to three. Exactly. Yeah. Uh, or I mean, like at least not like you maybe could trade up to three, but it would be but not painful, reasonably. Right. <laughs> it would be the same type of move the Panthers made where it's like, yeah, yeah, you got your quarterback, but you got nothing else. Nothing else. Exactly. And you ended up picking the wrong quarterback. So, yeah, I don't, I don't know. I don't like that situation either, but I don't think you're going Penix. I don't think you're going Knicks at 14, maybe 45, but that's, that's another discussion. But so we can go through down the list. These are the guys that I expect to get restructured. If you want to write them down and knock them off as they happen and come and tell me how right I am, feel free. <laughs> but I guarantee you, if not all of these, nine out of 10 of these names are getting restructured. Cam Jordan, 9.4 million, you can clear that he's getting restructured. Alvin Kamara, 8.1 million, you can clear. He's getting restructured. Demario Davis, 8.1 million, you can clear. He's getting restructured. Carl Granderson, 7.2 million, restructured. Eric McCoy, 6.7 million, restructured. Cesar Ruiz, 6.6, restructured. Taysom Hill, 6.6, restructured. Tyron Matthew, 5.8, restructured. That gets you to about 81 million. And from there, I think 
I'm not entirely, you know, I, you could, you could pick five or six names and throw them in there. My guess is Jawan Johnson is the name that you hear to get the rest of the way in that you can clear 3.7 million and you can get to cap compliance with that one restructure and you're fine with it. Now that just gets you to where you can, you balance your checkbook. It doesn't get you to a point where you can sign your draft picks. It doesn't get you to a point where you can be aggressive in free agency, but you have more contracts that you can mess with and you'll do that as you need it. Right? So if, if you do, if Juwan is the guy and you have about a million in, in working space, you can also clear 2.3 million. If you want to restructure Nathan Shepard, 2.1 million, if you want to, restructure Jamal Williams. That's that's one I don't think you mess with. 1.8 million if you want to restructure Foster. 1.8 million if you want to restructure Colin Saunders. 1.5 million for JT Gray. 1.1 million for Tano Passigno. That's about 10.6 million this season that you can clear up. And that's enough. That's enough to sign your draft picks. That's enough to bring in some veterans, maybe look at some, some free agents. And then, you know, there's other names down this list. You can cut Monty Rice and clear about 1.3 million. I expect that to happen. I don't know why you would keep him. Even if you did want to keep him, you would probably cut him and re-sign him at the minimum because why would you pay 1.3 million to a guy? I think you're like, hey, take a pay cut or we're going to move on because why would you pay him more than the minimum? The important thing there is I didn't really touch Marshawn and I didn't really touch Ryan Ramchek. You know, like I, I'm making this work without doing anything with their contracts because that's important to me. And if Ryan shows up at camp and looks great and you're like, man, this is a different guy. Like that knee is right there. It's perfect. Then maybe you can do something later and free up some more money, but I'm not messing with it. I'm not. No, the when you hear a degenerative knee issue for, you know, your offensive tackle, that's obviously nothing good. And we've seen him obviously – Picking up more and more of those veteran days off throughout the years, you know, getting that day of rest and trying to give him, you know, the the right management for that knee. But I mean, what what can you do for something that you know is an issue and that just keeps getting worse? It's kind of scary, obviously, when you think about your your star guy on your offensive line. Well, and you got to think about life after football too. Like, <laughs> yeah, you right. Know. Um, but yeah, so if Ryan can't play this year and you can designate him as a post June one cut. And you know, I hear people talk about post June one cuts a lot. If you don't really kind of understand how that works, it's basically if you cut someone prior to June 1st, all of their dead money, all of the the charges, cap charges, they accelerate up to this year. And so if I was to cut Ryan prior to June 1st, then you're talking about 27 million or whatever, all that dead money right now. If you designated as a post June one cut, right? So a guy like Mike Thomas, for example, he's going to be a post June one cut, you know, a few players like Marcus may, you can do that. And really all it means is you're able to spread that hit out over two seasons as opposed to one. So you're not saving money by, by doing that, but you are making, you are creating operational flexibility for this season. So, for example, if you cut, if you designated Ryan Ramchek as a post June one cut, you would then clear ten million this season. But you're you're not saving money; you're still paying. You still have dead money, but it's just allowing you to push ten million to next season. 
and that but that makes things more complicated next season. So it's not necessarily a saving so much as a, dis- a redistribution of some of that some of that cap. And so, yeah, and like you're pushing everything down the road, pushing everything down the road, and that's when people say like, "Oh, they're kicking the can down the road." Those are the types of things where it's like, Honestly. yeah. All of the work you're doing to clear space for this season is just making it so you have to do work next season. Now, the reason that's not a huge issue is because, and this is where the disconnect is. I see this all the time. People are like, well, their bill is going to come due eventually. It's not because you're still going to do this. Like right. the, the, the criticism of it that really always drives me nuts is when it's couched in, eventually they're going to start managing the cap a different way. And they're not like people say, like, blow it up. Well, what does that mean? It's it really just means, oh, okay, you're going to be doing this same thing with different players. <laughs> like yeah. you could you know, three years down the road, you know, when when you start to kind of normalize a little bit more, which anytime you have to sign a quarterback that kind of throws everything out of whack, you're going to be closer to the line where you're going into the offseason, maybe $30 million over the cap as opposed to 83. And operationally, that makes your life easier. But you're still going to be doing the same process, right? They're not going to just suddenly change their entire philosophy in terms of how the cap is managed. So, like, that's the part of it that doesn't make sense to me. Is every like it kind of people kind of act about it like as if, oh, well, in two years they're going to want to be going back and doing things like everyone else. They're not. So we don't need to talk about it as if it's this alternative strategy that they're doing because they have to. We need to talk about it as if this is their long-term multi-year strategy to field the most competitive team possible. It costs more. Gail's constantly cutting checks. She doesn't technically have to cut, but she doesn't seem to mind. So as long as the owner's willing to cut the checks, why do you care? Right? Show me the examples of situations where they have a less talented roster because of the salary cap. And that excludes people who have left on big above market contracts that you were probably not going to match anyway. Show me the people who got out of town on contracts that you should have paid. And Caden Ellis, three years, 27 million is not one of them. David Onyemata, three years, 30 million or whatever it was, is not one of them. Trey Hendrickson, you know, you could, it's probably the best argument you could make. Yeah, I was going to say everyone bitches about Trey. But even that, that was a huge contract that he got from the Bengals. It's not like it's right. not like you just you, you, he left for like three years, thirty million. He left for like three years, sixty-two million or something like that. Marcus, yeah, Williams, Marcus Williams, I guess. Who? Marcus Williams. Yeah, Marcus Williams. Like again, it's not like he left on a like Von Bell is the best example in terms of a guy who left on a contract that you should have been able to match. Right, right. And it probably made sense for you to match. And but that was. Like it's funny because like that's a good example of it, but that happened prior to the cap really becoming the issue that it is today, right? Which is stemming from COVID. It's stemming from Drew's retirement, um, and that's why you're in a more precarious situation now. So like Devon isn't even an example of that in terms of like they didn't have to do it then. It that was an example of the Saints not wanting to pay safeties. And Marcus, which we've again, talked about is, before for sure. We have we have talked about it right, and Marcus leaving. You know, I, I wish they had re-signed him, but I also, like, if you look at their track record of paying safeties, CJ Gardner-Johnson got sent out of town. Malcolm Jenkins was was shown the door. Yeah, Kenny Vaccaro, right? Like, it's not a coincidence. Like, right? they don't want to pay safeties on that second contract. So, either way. But I just don't see this as an issue. Now, we want to talk about the draft. Like, 
one of the huge, one of the biggest reasons this Saints team is not as talented as it should be is that you've missed on all these first round picks. <laughs> and that has nothing to do with draft or at, like uh, cap management. Right. Not at all. But people are going to be like, well, the team would be better if they managed the cap differently. And it's like, but show me where. If like, if the cap is an issue, and the cap is why you're not able to add talent to the roster or retain talent. It's like you can complain about the Derek Carr contract, but you can't sit there and tell me they overpaid Derek Carr and then also tell me that the cap is an issue, right? Because they clearly had, they paid him more than you think they should have. So that didn't the cap didn't stop you from doing that. They got the money from somewhere. Right. Like, so if you're able to operate in a way that does not prevent you from doing the things you want to do, then it's not the cap. That's the problem. It's the decision making. And like, that's a whole different conversation. But I, the number of times I've seen people tell me that they overpaid Derek Carr and also mismanaged the salary cap in ways that prevent them from signing people in free agency is, is so ridiculous. It's so, it's the dumbest fucking thing. And, we always arrive at this cliff where cap space equals better results. Like excess cap space equals success. And in extreme instances like the 49ers where you're paying your starting quarterback in Q-tips, like, sure, great. You know, if you can find a starting quarterback in the third round, like the Seahawks found Russell Wilson, yeah, that's the ultimate cheat code of the NFL. But, like, that's so much of that is just dumb luck. <laughs> um, you can't, that can't be your strategy. Your strategy needs to be add good players and retain good players as, as, as economically as you can. And the funny thing is, I think one of the byproducts of managing the cap the way the Saints do is that it does force you to be a little bit more rigid in the offers you're making and how you, how you operate in free agency. And that's why you'll hear stories from saints free agent signings, like Colin Saunders, Jamal Williams, where they basically came in and said, Hey man, we want you. This is how much we can pay. If you want to be, if you want to come sign here, great. And then the ball is in their court and they can say, okay, I'm going to go shop around. I'm going to see if I can find any other contracts. And if they don't let, you know, and, but the saints aren't going to sit there and be like, we will match whatever they give you. No, it's like that's not a the you're you're you have a budget and you're sticking to it. And to me, that's the right approach in free agency. So that's a healthy byproduct of having to be rigid because that's how you maintain this system over the course of time. So this isn't really my offensive plan. This is my long spiel on why the cap nerds are just they just want their rankings to to make sense to them. And so it, it bothers them so much that every year they see this number and they're like, they can't possibly operate like this. Right. And it doesn't end up being an issue. And they're like, well, next year, next year, it's going to be an issue. And then we get to next year and they do it again. And you kind of like, well, but, but I mean, next year, next year, it's going to eventually. And then they do it again. And like, fuck. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg. This is The Deal. Each week, you're here as in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not and, as uh, simple you know, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. 
Listen to The Deal on Spotify. Maybe if the Saints did lose Kai Harley, it might be a problem, but they didn't. Yeah, no, that is a that's a good point. Like, right. if if you lose kind of the like people talk about Loomis, they talk about the Mickey. Mind. They talk about Mickey, and they say like, "Oh, Mickey's the the you know." It was like Kai is the one with the spreadsheets, guys. <laughs> right. He's the important. Like Mickey's obviously important to this whole operation, but in terms of the cap and cap management, go look at Kai Harley because that was what that was the one that actually did concern me when he was like Jeff Ireland. I think. Like the scouting department can figure things out. Um, yeah, you could argue that Jeff hasn't hit lately, and you know it wouldn't be a a bad thing to get some new blood into that aspect of things. Yeah, and, and I mean, sure, he, he won, they, they are getting new blood because Cody Rager went to Denver, so right, you will be getting some changes there. But like, I think you, in terms of day to day operations, losing Kai would have been a would have been a big you know, institutional loss, because again, like that the one criticism that I will, that, that I agree with wholeheartedly is you're in this for the duration and you don't really have a choice. You know, that's only an issue if you didn't want to be right. Not being able to just shift back to standard, you know, accepted caps practices is not an issue as long as that was never your plan in the first place. Right. If I'm on a boat in the middle of the ocean. That's where I chose to be. It's not an issue that there's sharks underneath me because I'm not going down there anyway. My plan was always to be on this boat. Now, if I jump off the boat and sink to the bottom of the ocean, I'll be in trouble. But the good news is that was never my plan. So I'll be fine. Now, if a rogue typhoon shows up and knocks my boat over aka a massive global pandemic yeah i'm in trouble i gotta figure something out pretty quick but i'm not gonna make my decisions based on well what if what if what if a what if a gigantic wave shows up anyway that's you get the idea either way we're gonna hear nick Wright. i'm sure in a couple days come out with a take uh you're gonna see cap folks talk about it it's gonna be fine Anyway, going down, the the name I didn't really talk about was Marshawn Lattimore. And, you know, uh, we can get into the weeds on his contract situation. Again, it's going to be a situation where I think you make him a post-June 1 trade or cut. And people are going to talk about, well, why wouldn't they trade him prior to the draft? Well, it's going to cost you more this season if you trade him prior to the draft. And I don't think getting those draft assets this year is is in important enough to sacrifice your flexibility this year. And so, for example, if you traded Marshawn prior to the draft, it would actually cost you $5 million this year in terms of the 2024 cap. You would have $5 million more that you have to clear against it. If you wait and make him a post-June 1 trade, you actually would clear up $14 million this season, which would allow you to maybe go and grab a veteran. Um, so like that's to me, that's the no brainer. Like if you are going to trade Marshawn, which I don't think it's a given that they do, but if you are going to trade Marshawn and in my plan you do, then you would wait until post June one. Now that might limit your assets in return, but it's just the only thing that makes sense. It definitely makes sense to getting something for Marshawn. Obviously when you have two like, 
Uh, obviously, Elante Taylor and Paulson Adebo, and I, we've talked about the Elante experiment at slot ain't happening. I think it's pretty obvious he needs to go back to his quote unquote, I guess, natural position of being on the outside and pairing him up with Adebo. Kind of lets you free up an asset like Marshawn to see what you can get for it. Although I, I don't like necessarily the idea of dealing away an all pro cornerback. I don't either. Um, but I think at a certain point, it just makes sense. And I think you're kind of at that point. Um, you can say an all pro cornerback, but he hasn't been all pro the last two years. He's been hurt the last two years. And the product of being hurt for the second half of this season is you, you got really good performances out of Paulson Adebo and, and Isaac Yadam and Alante at spurts. Um, I think, you know, again, you're talking about the outside, right? And I want to see him on the outside. And that's another thing that kind of goes into it saying, okay, you know, if we trade Marshawn, we open up a path for, for Alante and we can extend Paulson. And then that's our cornerback tandem that we really like for the, for the next four or five years, give or take. Right. So to me, that's, that makes sense. And if there is truth to Marshawn being disgruntled and you know, then that makes sense too. Then, then that even that adds to it. The question is what the return would be. Yeah. And how little are you willing to take, right? Because it's not about the ceiling, it's about the floor. <laughs> because there has to be a limit. There has to be a minimum that you'd be willing to take where it doesn't make sense anymore. Like you're not just going to trade him to trade him. And I think that ha- that's what you have to make clear. And that's where you lose leverage in negotiations is when that team knows that you're trading that guy regardless of what the, like if whatever the top, the best offer is, you're taking it. You know, if you're on Craigslist and it says like OBO or best offer, right? You never want to, like if you're trying to make money on something, you never put OBO after the title, you know? Because <laughs> you're just going to, that's just a sign that's like, it's getting sold one way or the other. And so that's my goal of this off season. And if it's a smokescreen, maybe you are. Maybe, maybe even if it's a lie, you got to make that because otherwise you end up in the CJ Gardner-Johnson situation where you're basically getting pennies on the dollar for a, for a product for a player that ended up leading the NFL in interceptions. And I don't think you're at that point with Marshawn. I think Marshawn's a higher end player. And so the question is, do you get like a Jalen Ramsey type return? Cause that's one of the bigger trades you've seen Jalen Ramsey to uh, the Rams from the Jaguars. Initially, I can't remember what the Rams got trading him to the dolphins, but it's probably somewhere in between those two returns. Um, yeah. Well, definitely does suck is obviously the last two years. Marshawn has been banged up. Yeah, and that's going to limit what you can get, right? Yeah. Like teams are going to say, well, we're not getting 2019 Marshawn, right? I don't know. If you can get a second round pick, if you can get a 2025 second round pick from anybody, man, I think that's the deal, right? Like, you know, you might add some pieces to the back end of that, but like you're not getting a first rounder for him for a 28-year-old cornerback. Um so like that, like I think like the Christian McCaffrey return, I think that's what the Panthers got for Christian McCaffrey was a couple second rounders and a third or something like that. Um, like that's whoever's whoever the first team is that throws in a second round pick is probably getting Marshawn. <laughs> but I'm doing it. That's that's my I'm doing that. I've been saying that for weeks now. It, it just makes sense to me. So so that's on my list of like, yep, this is happening. Just like Mike Thomas, appreciate the heck out of what he has done, but. This is the year. It's time. You have to do something. He's technically under contract for 2024. Like technically, you can't just say bye. You have to either cut him 
or restructure his deal prior to the new league year. Otherwise, the he has these crazy bonuses that kick in, basically a poison pill in his contract to force them to make a decision one way or the other. And so I think you make him a post-June 1 cut. It'll cost you $7.9 million. I'm sorry. It'll cost you $7.9 million to do it prior to that. If you do it after that, it's the numbers somewhere around like two, three million for this season. Um, but I think it, it's it's time. Mike, see what you got in free agency. I'm rooting for you. Good luck. No, that's what I thought was amusing with the audio we played of Derek Carr saying it best. It's like, I, I wish the best for you. It sounded like, uh, you know, an awful breakup. And that's, uh, it didn't, didn't last as long as it should have here. But it's pretty clear that Mike T's on his, is on the out skis. Yes, sir. Um, you know, and then and then beyond that, there's really not a ton of free agency uh, questions that you need to answer. We did do the the episode where we kind of broke down all the free agents, but a lot of them are RFAs, right? Like Rashid Shahid, you bring him back. He's an exclusive rights free agent. Um, you know, guys like PJ Mustafer, like not a ton. Uh, we talked about Mike Thomas. We talked about, you know, Marshawn, who's not a free agent, but, you know, you're making a decision. But the three guys, the three names that I think are priorities in terms of figuring that out, Andres Pete, who I am bringing back if I can. Um, now, I'm not giving him another five-year, $57 million contract, but if I can get him back two years, $12 million, you know, like like James Hurst, if I can get him back somewhere between like a James Hurst deal and, you know, a Cesar Ruiz deal, which I think Cesar's getting like 14 annually, you know, like I can, I think that's, that's the range, right? So, uh, like if I can get him two years, 12 million, maybe a couple void years on the end, I'm okay with that. If he gets bid up, that's the question. If he did enough this yeah. season to have a market that is, makes it more difficult, then that becomes a bigger question because ideally in a perfect world, he's not my starting left tackle next year, but I do need a contingency plan and he's it. And what I like about Andres, as opposed to some other options I can bring in, is we know that he can play left guard. So if it, like it's not just like if Trevor comes in and is the starting left tackle, it's not just this overpriced contract sitting on the bench. It's at least someone who can play a premium position for you. So I think that's a no brainer if you can get him back at the right at the right. Like it's not a question of saying good luck. Like like with Mike, like there's no amount that I'm resigning Mike for. But with Andres, it's like if he's within that range, I'm bringing him back. Yeah, it's crazy to think about, it. and I definitely never thought I would say that retaining Andrus Pete is kind of a necessity considering where you are with the rest of this O-line. Agreed, agreed. Now, there's a couple other names. Zach Bond is another guy that, again, you're talking – like both these guys, Zach Bond, Ike Adam. I want to keep both. I yeah. do. And if I can, great. Like this is not a situation where it's like, oh, God, I got to move on. Like I got to find somebody else. It's kind of like last year where – I think the Saints wanted to keep David Onyemata. I think the Saints would have preferred to keep Marcus Davenport if they could. I think the Saints would have loved to keep Caden Ellis if they could. But all of these guys got bigger numbers than made sense. And I think they dodged a bullet with that, with Minnesota offering $13 million for one, like four games to Marcus Davenport this season. You know, they paid good money for those four games or whatever he ended up playing. Uh, you know, Caden Ellis... 27 million over three years. That's way too much to pay for your Sam linebacker. David yeah. Onyata got a, got more money on this contract than he did when the Saints signed him at age, re-signed him at age like 26. So you were never doing that. And I think that's where you land with, you know, all three of these guys, Ike, Andres, and Zach. 
if you can get Zach Bond, yeah, three years, nine million, right? I'm all on. I'm, I am on board with that for Zach Bond. If I can get Ike, even if you give him a raise, two years, six million, right? Like he was a one year, one million dollar contract this year. That would be a significant raise for him. But I'm not going into the three year, fifteen million dollar range for my for my third string cornerback. I'm not going into the three years, $20 million range for my Sam linebacker. But I still do want all three of those guys back. And if I can't get them, then things will get more complicated. And the Ike Adam signing is pretty contingent on, okay, if I trade Marshawn, then I got to have somebody. If I don't trade Marshawn, then I probably let Ike walk. You think so, huh? Yeah, I oh, guess. Yeah. What are you, you going to do, right? Well, because you, you're carrying more money. And you're, and you're, yeah, I mean, yeah. like, if if yeah, it becomes a little more complicated. But I I mean I need the depth if I trade Marshawn. And then the question becomes, what do you have at slot slot corner? Now you could go out and find a guy like Kendall Fuller. You know, you could pay at the top of the slot corner market if you want. They have the Saints haven't done that historically. So that's going to be my biggest question: is how you do that. But I think once you make some of these decisions, once you get post June one, and you kind of find a little bit more flexibility in, in terms of your long-term when you have a better picture of what that's going to look like. That's when I want to extend Paulson Adebo, Pete Warner this off season. No question. I want it. Um, Paulson. I don't think anyone's going to complain about that. Uh, Pete, I think there's a little bit more criticism. I don't think he had as good of a year as people were hoping for. I think he's still very good. I think he's still going to be your, your long-term answer at linebacker. So I'm extending him. Both those guys are in the final, going into the final year of their contract. So that's the next like big, big step there. And then like, there's questions of like, there's a couple of guys you can cut. Do you keep James Hurst, right? He might be the extraneous piece. If you get, you know, if Nick Saldaveri develops into a guy who you can trust as the backup guard, if you do resign Andres and he becomes your swing left tackle, left guard, then James Hurst probably, you know, and, and, and again, you might draft a right tackle prospect. And in that case, I don't know. But he, th- these are questions that you kind of figure out as you go. Um, but that's it. That's kind of my my main plan is all these restructures. Um, you're moving on from Mike Thomas. I think you're trading Marshawn. You're trying to re-sign Andres, Ike, and Zach. And from that point, you figure it out. And you, you dive into the free agency pool but I don't. I think this is going to be kind of like last year, where I do not anticipate the Saints are going to have any interest in the opening wave of free agency. Um, they're going to wait things out and and find guys they like, like you saw with Colin Saunders, Nathan Shepard, those types of guys. Yeah, I, I don't expect any obviously uh, day one splash kind of signings, but that more of uh, reserve, you know, guys filling up, you know, positions of depth and maybe some of the under-the-radar dark horse candidates kind of thing. But, yeah, this this team's not equipped to make a splash signing. And 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 the funny thing is, like, everyone gets excited about them. Everyone gets excited about these huge free agent contracts. You know, you know, we, we talk about the Saints, how now they sal- navigate the salary cap, and everyone's critical of it. You know, there's no empirical evidence to show me that, like, this team would be significantly different if they navigated and managed the cap in – a more traditional way, but there is empirical evidence to show that overpaying in free agency is a long-term detriment to your team, your team success. 
like that, that actually is easy to see. It might have, you, you'll, in a lot of cases, you'll get immediate returns, but over time it becomes a detriment. Like look at the, the giants under Ben McAdoo is a good example where they went out and they signed Olivier Vernon and Jan- Janoris Jenkins, Jack Rabbit Jenkins. And I think, I think one other guy and they made the playoffs and then immediately fell off a cliff and haven't, you know, I think they did have one playoff season with Daniel Jones last year, but like all, all those players ended up on the, on the Browns and the saints ended up with Jack Rabbit Jenkins, obviously. And he played well for him, but you know, I, I like, again, you know, one of the byproducts of managing the cap the way the saints do is they're not involved in those, you know, over the top contracts, market resetting contracts to free agents. And I don't think that's a bad thing. So, you know, it, it's fun. It's a good time. Everyone, li- I like to talk about it, but I don't fi- see it as a huge issue. No, like you said, I look forward to when the Saints do, they'll make some kind of move that nobody thought they could end up pulling off and affording. And yeah, then our, our good boy will lose his head. Uh, uh, what's Nick his Wright. name? What's that? Nick Wright. Yeah, thank you. Nick Wright. And we'll hear more about the Saints Ponzi scheme going on here They're in New doing Orleans. It again. Ah, how could you let him do this? He can't keep getting away with this. There you go. Right. Yeah. The the Breaking Bad GIF. Yeah. Um, but all right, that's it. Is there anything else you wanted to mention before we get out of here? No, no, just looking forward, obviously, uh getting to one final week of football here, Super Bowl time, and then man, we'll be talking about obviously the higher more of Kubiak and then the filling out of the staff uh, and then bing bang boom the the draft really is not that far away no it's not um you know the, the my question is whether they have an introductory press conference for Clint I don't think you typically would but it just seemed like a big enough hire that maybe they will you know like you would have it for a head coach but I don't know if I can recall ever having seeing like you know, a defensive coordinator. Like, did they did they have one when DA got hired as a defensive coordinator? Uh, it's really escaping me. It's like, oh, are they a just like, hey, Dennis Allen's just the head, co- you know, the the the, the coordinator now. Um, I, I think there's going to be some kind of intro to Kubiak and maybe if he's got one or two staff members that he might be bringing with him to, it might be, like kind of like a package deal. I don't know. But yeah, well, I mean, I, I, they definitely will. He question. definitely will talk it in camp, right? Yeah, like what right. My question is whether they do like a a formal yeah, press right. conference prior to that, which I don't know. They could probably get away with not doing it. Um, but we'll see. But anyway, this is Inside Black and Gold. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We we, we came a long way. We, we traveled a good distance in our minds uh, over the last 90 minutes or so. Um, if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that. Follow me on Twitter at Jeff underscore Nowak. You can follow Steve at Steve Geller WWL. You can follow the show at Saints underscore pod. Latest news, notes, and analysis at WWL.com. Uh, make sure to subscribe on YouTube at WWL Sports. And uh, yeah, it's a good time. We're about ready to turn the calendar over. We got one more one more podcast and then year season three. Dun, dun, dun. It's exciting. But, all right. Who dat? Go Saints. The Kubiak era begins. <laughs> Mortal Kombat energy right there. Yes.